Well, hey, Regen, my name is Bryce. I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery for fear of man, um, which manifests itself in pornography and masturbation, drug and alcohol abuse, and pride. And this past week, um, anxiety and some laziness. Hey, y'all, it's good to be back. Um, well, this past week, as we all know, it's Thanksgiving. I hope that y'all had a sweet time home with friends or with family. I know COVID is a little bit of a hard time. And so I apologize um, if it didn't look like it does normally. But this past week, I got to go home and spend some time with some family. Um, and, if, and I also spent some time with some friends. And so if you, most of y'all don't really know much about me. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, my parents divorced. And after my parents divorced, I ended up spending a ton of time with my best friend, Danny, and my best friend, Alfonso, and my best friend, David. They're all equally best friends. It's like a triad. Um, but we, we spent, like, ever, ever since then, I would continue to spend time with them, like Thanksgiving or Christmas. We did holidays together, all of it. And so this past week, I went to go spend time with them. And what you need to know about them is that they're Hispanic. They're from Mexico. And so when you spend time with a different culture that's not your own, as much as I did, you begin to pick up different characteristic traits of this particular culture, like sometimes the way I would say things or um, what I would eat or how I would like, communicate with other people. And there was just this cultural understanding from them that we had. And um, that causes me, when I interact with people now, for me to come off as Mexican but I'm not Mexican, I'm actually ethnically ambiguous. It's kind of like all the above, I can be whatever you want me to be um, because I can kind of pass as everything but white. So, um, so but so some of those times where it gets a little confusing that sometimes I'll go to a Mexican restaurant and when I go to a Mexican restaurant, because I understand how people from Mexico eat their food typically, um, I'll order something pretty normal like a chicken quesadilla or something, but instead of having like vegetables, I'll say, hey, can I get a fajita chicken quesadilla and can you add fresh jalapenos on it? And they're like, what? Uh, and they start speaking to me in Spanish, just like hammer off stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so they think that I'm Mexican because of the way I said that and because of their past experiences because they know that no homie's coming in asking for jalapenos like that if he's not from Mexico. And so they, because of their past experiences, they respond to me in a way um, that, that's not true, that's not true to who I am. And Regen, what I'm going to talk about tonight is that we do that with God all of the time. We respond in life according to what we perceive to be true about God, but not to what is objectively true about him, what he says about himself. And when we respond to God in these ways, what we end up doing is we end up running to things that aren't God. And when we run to the world, it causes problems. And so we're here at Regen. Welcome. If this is your first time, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, you come in here to Regen on Monday nights because you have a particular problem. And tonight, I'm going to tell you exactly what the solution is to your problem. Um, and you need, to, you need to understand this. You need to listen to this because I'm afraid that if you don't hear what the scripture has to say about the solution to your problem, you will never heal from your brokenness because region is not the thing that's gonna fix you. Christ is. And so here's this exact solution. It's to have a right view of who God is. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 3.18 tells us exactly this. It says, we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's saying that you have to see, when we see God without anything hindering our vision of him, when we see him for who he really is, and we give him right glory and praise for who he is, we become transformed. And it can only come from God who is the Spirit. It says it right here. When we see him for who he is, we become transformed. But there's a problem. There's always a problem. Um, it says the, the problem is, is that there's an enemy and his name is Satan. And the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you from being able to see who God is for who he truly is. Because he knows, according to the scripture, that if you see God in his glory for who he is truly, you'll be transformed. You'll love God for who he is. And, and you will be healed of your brokenness. And those chains that bind you to your sin will be broken. 2 Corinthians 4 Verse four says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what he's saying here is that Satan tries to tell you things that aren't true about God to blind you. And whether you are an unbeliever here in this room or you are a believer, the tactic is the same, deception. He's the father of lies, the king of deception, and he wants nothing more than for you to see God for who he is not and not who he truly is. So what does that look like then, you may ask? It looks like whispering small lies into your unconscious thought that don't really come off as like verbal sayings, but they'll come off as feelings. And, he, and it's most, most of the time, it's like a feeling and it's unconscious. And he uses your past experiences to shape this unconscious belief about who you think God is. And so, well, okay, Bryce, how do I know that I'm believing these lies? It looks like this. If you are here and you know that God, if you can say to yourself in your head that God is loving but you don't feel loved by God when you say it, you probably are not believing the truth about God. You can say to yourself, and especially you spend time around here, that God is all satisfying, that God's the only one that can satisfy your heart. You know that in your head, and you can say it to your friends, right? But then for some reason in your everyday life, you run to everything else for satisfaction instead of God. There's a discrepancy there. But, and the reason why we do that is because we're probably believing a lie instead of the truth about God. Unconsciously, we can say this. We slap these, ver these verses onto these feelings and thoughts just to like, like a Band-Aid, but we never really uncover the truth of what we're really believing in our hearts. So since we've been back here in person at Region, we've been doing a series called Crap Theology for like 90 weeks, it seems. And so tonight, um, we are going to finish the series on Crap Theology. And instead of using statements or um, phrases that kind of point you to a misconception of God, what we're going to do is we're going to cut straight to the chase. And we're going to talk about the four common misconceptions that the enemy tells you about who God is to keep you from being transformed to keep you from being free. But while we do this tonight, I'm gonna to challenge y'all. You're gonna to have to be a little bit interactive with me. I'm gonna challenge y'all to focus on what you believe and feel about God rather than what you think is true about him. So if you'll do this with me, everybody, close your eyes. I'll close my eyes too and try not to walk off the stage. Um, 
Close your eyes, clear your mind, take a deep breath. And I'm gonna ask you to pay attention to the first thing that comes to your mind when I tell you to picture God. Picture him right now. What does he look like? Does he look like he's far away? Um, does he look like he's up in the clouds? Is he on a big throne? Is he close to you? Is he smiling at you? Or is he frowning? Or is his face blank? Is his arms holding out like he wants to hug you? Or is his arms crossed? Is he looking away from you? Pay attention to that. What is that thing that you, what is the first thing that you see when you picture God? You can open up your eyes. Um, how did you feel when you, when you imagined what God looked like? Did you feel empty? When you saw God in your head, you're like, oh, like there's God. Or were you kind of just like, ah, like there's God. Did you feel normal? Did you feel kind of fearful? When we talk about God tonight, when we uncover these four misconceptions, what I want you to do is to focus on that feeling, that, app, that image that comes to your mind when we talk about these four misconceptions. And so tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna reveal these four misconceptions and we're gonna shine the light of the glory of Christ through the lens of the gospel for who he truly is on these lies. And hopefully uh, through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll, tra he'll transform us. So I'm gonna go to him now in prayer and then we'll get in, we'll get to work. Father, thank you for um, just my friends here, the people who you've brought here to region. Lord, I know that they are not here um, by accident. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are all supreme God, but you are also a loving father. And only by the power of your Holy Spirit will that make sense in the heart of man. So we pray tonight that you would move, that you would reveal yourself truly, and that you would transform the hearts of my friends and even myself tonight. Father, we love you, and we thank for you, and we pray, amen. So the first one tonight is that God's love is conditional. And most of us in this room, we wouldn't ever say like, oh yeah, like I have to do stuff for God for him to like love me, right? Y'all would be like, what? Heck no, Bryce, that's not what I believe. But for a lot of us, and I'm sure y'all can relate to this, there's a disconnect. We know these things to be true, but we don't feel it. And so what's happening there is that you know truth, but you're believing a lie. So how do you know if that's, if that's what you're experiencing? Ask yourself this. Do you find yourself down about yourself, feeling kind of low when you mess up in life? Or do you find yourself feeling like the Lord isn't gonna come through on something that you really want to come through on because you, have, you feel like you haven't prayed enough or you haven't had enough quiet time, you haven't been spending time in the Word, or you didn't do your region book, right? Do you feel yourself doing that? Like this morning I was praying, because I'm, I'm standing up here right now, I was like, man, Lord, I, I really don't wanna choke tonight, so please um, help me out here. And then I literally had the feeling like, oh, well, like you didn't really play, pray that much yesterday about this. And I literally thought that I was gonna like come up here and make a fool out of myself because I didn't pray enough. That's what I mean. Or some of you who, hear, who are here who don't know who Christ is, who aren't a believer, is it because you feel like you've gone too far, you've done too much wrong, or you aren't good enough, like you haven't, you haven't prayed the prayer, or whatever it may be, like do you feel like you aren't good enough to be in right relationship with God? And what I wanna say right now is that Satan uses, like I was mentioning earlier, your past experiences to inform your present reality or view of who God is. And oftentimes, because we all have them, he uses our parents. And so for some of you, maybe your dad, 
Maybe your dad, when you were younger, left your mom. Um, or your mom left your dad. And naturally, when your mom leaves your dad, she seems like unworthy of being loved or vice versa. And so you start to ask yourself, okay, well, why did my dad leave my mom? And so you kind of notice like, hey, she's kind of lazy or unproductive and she didn't attribute much to the house. And so she must, she must have just been too lazy for my dad to actually love her. She must have not been worthy of love because of that. So now you do all that you can to be productive in life in order to feel worthy of being loved. Or maybe you're somebody who had great parents actually. And they spent time with you and they um, went to your football games or your like cheerleading things and they did whatever made you feel loved, right? And you had such a high view of them because of who they were that instead of trying to earn their love, you worked to try to keep their love because you were afraid of what would happen if you messed up enough. Or you had a dad who encouraged you and made you feel really good. He was always like, good job, pal, I love you, or honey, I'm so proud of you, you're great. But over time, you begin to realize that the only time your dad's eyes lit up when he saw you is when you were achieving something. And so it slowly caused you to begin to work for your dad's affection because that was the only way that you were gonna get it truthfully. You could see it in his eyes. So because of this, we believe that in our hearts, God's affection is dependent upon our obedience to him. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Acts 17, 25 tells us this. Nor is he served by human hands, God. He's not served by human hands. As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, that's all of us, of all time, life and breath and everything, everything. Everything includes grace and affection and love and comfort. God doesn't depend on you or me to show for us to like do enough for him to show us that he loves us. He, we could never bribe him enough for him to show us that he loves us or for him to move and to show us affection. There's a saying says, he loves because he loves not because of anything anyone does. God is self-sufficient. He loves because he is love, not because you do things for him. When you start to see God for who he truly is as unconditional rather than conditional, you have the confidence every day, everywhere you walk, knowing that God loves you and he's for you despite your season or despite your struggle. Second misconception is that God is a robber. Um, oftentimes, I know for myself, I feel like God's like taking things away from me, like things that I really want. And sometimes I was thinking about the other day, I feel like a toddler because, and we all know the toddler, okay? Just think about it in your head, you know this one, where they're like old enough to walk and to like move around, but they're not old enough to talk yet. And so what they do often, and for some reason, they like put everything in their mouth like no matter what it was, no matter what it is, it's, just, it's like in the mouth when they, when they grab it. And so here's what it looks like sometimes. They'll be like, ah. And they can't walk straight either. Well, here's a paperclip. So they find a paperclip or something and they're like, I'll put it straight in their mouth. It could be a knife if it's John Elmore's kids. Probably put it in a knife in their mouth. And... <laughs> Um, and they have no idea, they're just doing it because they're like, oh, this is fun. And then right about that time, they put it in their mouth and they turn, 
the dad and the toddler lock eyes. And it's like this countdown to three, two, one. And I don't know, it's like an intuitive thing because it's like a, and they all like take off running. The child's running, the toddler's running with this sharp object, object in his mouth. And the dad swoops him up and it takes this sharp object in the mouth, obviously, because he didn't want to fall down and like impale himself. And then immediately the toddler's like, ah, wah, wah, like crying all the time. And the dad was just trying to help the toddler out, okay? You do not want, I, guys, I know parenting's hard, all right? It's hard. I get it. I don't get it. I don't have kids. But I'm sure it's hard. <laughs> I'm sure it's hard. Um, <laughs> but do you feel like God does that to you? Like there's something good that you want, that it feels good and it feels comforting. It's like, man, when you're feeling like it's a hard day, like it just brings you some life. Like sometimes he's, sometimes it may be alcohol, right, that you want so bad it makes you feel good or it's drugs or it's that unhealthy emotional relationship, that codependent one. Um, maybe it's sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend outside of marriage that's like really, that's really not good for you, but you want it because it makes you feel good. And when he's asked, you come, to here to re, you come here to region or you live around Christians who know the word and you're like, hey, that's not God's best for you. And you're like, why does God want to just steal my joy and my comfort? Like, I don't see what's wrong with this. He's not, and you're like, why is he trying to rob me? And God's not trying to rob you. He's trying to rescue you. James chapter one, verse 14 and 15 say this, or just, yeah. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, brings birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We, as human beings, naturally desire sin. And when we're tempted by Satan, we give into that sin. And when we give into that sin, it brings forth death. Like that porn that you love so much that you do not want to give away because it makes you feel good. Or that unhealthy emotional relationship, like I was talking about, that makes you feel comfortable. Maybe it's the love of control of your life that you don't want to give up. Or maybe it's the love of pride. All these things bring forth death. And then in verse 16 and 17, he says this, James does. He says, do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying this, that there is a means to deception to you. Like someone is trying to deceive you and it's the enemy. He wants to get you to believe that when God takes away these things in your life, that he's trying to rob you of true life. But the scripture tells us that God is the giver of all good gifts. And so he's not trying to rob you. He's trying to take these poisonous pleasures that you just are so attached to. And he's trying to take them away from you so he can heal you and give you true life. He's trying to heal you from these poisonous pleasures that bring forth death. And it's all because he loves you. He's not angry with you and trying to punish you by taking away your sin. It's only to help you. God is not a rescuer. I mean, God is not a robber. He's a rescuer. And when we see him as that, we stop running to these poisonous pleasures for comfort and we start running to the true source of healing and comfort that exists, God himself. And he loves you. He wants you to come to him. And when we do that, we begin to transform. Third one, third misconception 
is God is aggressive or abusive. Um, and the way that we view this sometimes is like, <clears throat> he, what we'll often do, if, the way we can see this is that God's like aggressive and abusive. He's kind of like scary. So what, sometimes you won't even pray to God because you're, just af- you're afraid of like how you're gonna feel in your heart when you talk to God especially when you sin. So you shrink away from him, like he's not your safe place. And for some of you, sadly, I know this is more than half the room. You've experienced some really difficult aggression in your life, some abuse of some sort, whether it be emotional abuse, whether it be physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. And what I want you to know is that none of those abuses that you've experienced in your life are your fault. They're not. And God sees you and he loves you. But some, for, for, for some of you, it was a mom or a dad that was drunk all the time. And you avoided your mom or dad because you knew that when they were drunk, things just got really, just got out of whack. They became really aggressive and mean. They would say things to you. Maybe you had somebody in your family that was just physically abusive in general and so you, you, you avoided them, you, you were afraid of them, and you felt like going home was like walking on eggshells. You could never be comfortable or safe in your own home. And all this turmoil in your life because of that unsafe environment at home caused you to not trust authority figures. And not only trust authority figures, but trust people who wanted to be in intimate relationship with you. Like you don't let them in because you're afraid of them. And if you're, a lot, if, you're a, if you're like a lot of us, you wouldn't say that out loud, but you view the same thing about God because of those past situations. So imagine with me, you're, it's late, long day, region, maybe, talked about some hard stuff, and now you come home and you're tempted to go back to that comfort that you've been going to for a long time, but you know is a sin, right? You know it's not a good thing. And then you finally give in to it. So you're in your room, doors locked, doors shut, right? Nobody can get in. And then um, you're, you're, whether you're drinking or whatever it may be, you're in the security and isolation of your sin and you're, you're falling to it again. And so close your eyes with me one more time. Imagine you're saying that whatever it may be, whatever it is that is your sin, you're, you're doing it. And then all of a sudden you hear the door open and it's God because it's God, he can do that stuff. Um, he pops in and then you look over at him and what, what do you, how do you view him looking at you right now? Is it frustrated? Is he, point, is, he, is he towering over you in aggression and angry with you, pointing his finger down at you? Like, okay, Bryce, like, yeah, you messed up again. Oh, you feel guilty? You feel shameful? Well, good. Maybe if you feel this guilt and you feel this shame enough, you will learn next time. And maybe, just maybe you'll learn. You can open your eyes. Sadly, that's how a lot of us view God in our hearts. We shrink in fear at, at the thought of his reaction to us and our sin. So we don't even go to him because we're afraid of what we're gonna see or what we're gonna feel, what he's gonna say. But there's a story exactly like this with the same exact situation. It's in John chapter eight. A lot of us have heard it. It's the woman caught in adultery. What's happening shortly is that God's, or Jesus is standing there and he's teaching to a, a group of people. And all of a sudden you hear this like wrestling, like this crowd's kind of moving to his right, 
I imagine it. And you hear this woman like saying, no, like, please, please, please. And these guys kind of yelling and they burst through out of, into this clearing and throw this woman half naked into the dirt right in front of Jesus. And this woman was having sex with another man who was married right in the middle of the act. It says she was caught in the act drugged out, thrown in front of Jesus. And they're like, hey, the, the law of Moses tells us that we, can, we need to stone this woman for the, commit, for the act that she's committed. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And while they're talking to him and they're asking me these things, he's he bent down in front of this woman and he's riding in the ground. He's drawing in the dirt. And when they ask him this, he stands up and he responds to them with this. <clears throat> um, you who, or anyone who is here, who is without sin among you, be the first to throw the stone. Anyone here who is without sin, be the first to throw the stone. And then he bends back down and he's right there with the girl, the woman. And the thing about that is that Jesus, so what they were doing, they they wanted to punish this woman. Jesus was the only one among them without sin. The only one with the authority to punish this woman. And he wasn't even holding a rock, but he bent down and he was with this woman while these people were towering over him, accusing her. He does not condemn, but he pushes out and does away with the condemners. Jesus doesn't meet you in your sin with aggression or abuse. He describes himself as this, Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he says this about himself, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, he literally says it right here. When you see me for being gentle and lowly in heart, picking you up, dusting the dirt off of your face, not condemning you, you find rest from your soul. When you see him and you come to him, you won't find wrath for your soul, region. You'll find rest. That is the God of the universe. The fourth one is a really common one. I was saying it's that God, is, it's the belief that God is passive, Like, God doesn't really care that much. And if he did care, or if he does care, like you say he does, he doesn't really show it. And so, because he's not really around. And so, a lot of you here had really, really absent parents. Parents who didn't really seem to care about um, what you did all that much. And for a long time growing up, you thought it was normal, right? Like, you just didn't do these things with your dad or your mom. You didn't really have this... A close relationship with them. But as you grew up, you started to realize that when you would go over to your friend's house, they would like hug them and tell them that they loved them. And they were like, hey, I'm proud of you. And like, what did you do today? And they were genuinely interested in your friend's life. And you started realizing, wait, wait, man, that's way different than my parents. And so sometimes it looked like this, like, hey, dad, like, look, I got an A. I got an A on my test. And his eyes are locked on the TV. He's like, good, son. But he didn't look at you. Or, hey, dad, I know you couldn't couldn't come to my uh, wrestling match on Tuesday, but I pinned him. And I just wanted you to know that. And he doesn't look up from his meal. Kind of just shrugs his shoulders like, cool. 
Some of the times, <clears throat> maybe your dad never told you that he was proud of you or that he loved you or that he was proud that you were his son or his daughter. And listen, Regent, that is me. That's my story with my dad. He just seemed generally uninterested. So when you ask me, when you ask me, hey, Bryce, close your eyes and imagine who God is. Oops, sorry. When you, when you imagine who God is, I see a Jesus who's standing a little too far away from me. Like he's here in the room, but he's too far to reach out and touch. And he's not looking at me like he's smiling and he's not frustrated. It's just a blank stare and his arms are crossed. And he's just looking at me. Like if I were to mess up, he didn't care. If I were to do something good, he wouldn't care. He was just genuinely uninterested in me. And for a long time, I couldn't understand why that's why, that's why I saw Jesus. Like that's the first thing that, it's like a blank room. I couldn't tell why I thought that of Jesus or why I saw that. Until I realized recently, that's, a, that's exactly how I view my dad. He was around because I saw him every day. I lived with him for half my life. Um, but he never reached out. He never told me he loved me or he was proud of me or came to my games. And so I believe that same thing about God. But what I need you to know, Regent, is that that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be more opposite of who our God is. Our God is not an earthly father. Parental wounds run really, really deep, and it's so hard. I want you to know I'm with you. It's so hard to think about how your parents treated you and to just genuinely feel like that for the rest of your life or up until now, and I pray that this changes tonight. Our, father, our heavenly father is not an earthly father. He's the perfect father, and he could never be passive. He couldn't. I mean, you're here tonight at Regent. There's no way he's passive. He has you here for a reason, and I believe that, and your leader believes that, Groundwork believes that. This church is built, this whole, this whole building is built because of what God has done, because he was active, not passive, in your life. And so when God sees you running away from him in sin, he doesn't just watch you walk, run away, but he comes after you with a plan, and he knew what that plan would cost. He knew it. Romans 5, verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss that. It says that while we were still sinners, God didn't wait for you to meet some conditions for him to love you. He is unconditional in his love for you. You could have never made it. He doesn't, he doesn't come here to rob you of life, but he came here to rescue you. He doesn't meet you with aggression or abuse in your sin, but he meets you with gentleness because that's who he is. And he doesn't stand passive, but he chases after you while you are, uh, while you are still a sinner. While you weren't even looking for him, he chases after you. God is not conditional He's not a robber. He's not aggressive or abusive or passive. All those lies are crap theology. 
And that's what we've been learning about is crap, all these crap theological things that Satan has been telling you for so many years to keep you bound in sin and to keep you away from looking at God and beholding his glory. Seeing him for who he truly is, he's been keeping you from that. And what I want to tell you, Regen, is that when you see God for who he truly is, you become transformed. There's no way around it. If you see God and you see him for who he truly is as all eternal, king of kings, lord of lords, the owner and author and artist of every hill on every part of this earth and every planet for a million galaxies, but he's also a loving father, you become transformed. And when you receive that, when you receive what he did on the cross for you, living the perfect life, dying a death that you deserve, so that you could be in right relationship with him, when you see that for who he is, you become changed. Galatians 5, 16 says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When, you, when he says walk by the spirit, the only way you can walk by the spirit is if you see God for who he really is. And when you see him for who he really is, you can begin to walk with him. And when you begin to walk with him and see him for who he is, you begin to love him more than you love your sin. So you end up not gratifying the desires of your flesh. It's about loving God more than it is about your doing away with sin. It's about loving him more than you love your sin. That's why when we see God for who he is, we become transformed. And so if you're here tonight and you haven't accepted Christ, you haven't, you haven't up until now seen who he truly is. You've been believing these misconceptions about him for so long, and this is your first time to see him as a loving father that he truly is according to his word. I invite you to accept him tonight. Because once you accept him, that's when transformation begins. And for those of us here who've been following Jesus for some time, and there's that discrepancy, right? Like you know that God is loving, but you never feel love. And you know he's with you, but you always feel alone. You don't go to him because you're afraid of him. Or you don't go to him because you feel like he just doesn't care. What we need to do is we need to fight the misconceptions, the crap theology that Satan tells us. And the only way we can do that is by locating the lies, do you believe that God is conditional? Do you believe that he's robbing you of life or that he's aggressive or he's abusive or he's passive towards you? You have to locate those lies. And the only way you can locate those lies is you open up his word and see him for who he says he is objectively. He's given us his word as a means of grace, a gift for you to see who he is and the life that he has for you and he wants for you. So we have to locate the lies and learn from God's word in order to locate the lies. And then what you do after that is you confess them. Confess these misconceptions about who God is that you have been believing to your community or to your region group. And then you pray for one another, James 5, 16. You pray for one another so that you can be healed. And so tonight, you're going to have the opportunity to go into your small groups and talk about these things. Um, I challenge you to think about which one of those misconceptions have you been believing the most? The one that's just bounds you to your sin, the one that keeps you from going to God the most, which one of those is it? And then confess it to one another. And then to pray for one another. Regent, when we see who God is for who he truly is, 
you become transformed. It's black and white in the text, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And when we behold his glory, we, we become glorified from one degree of glory to the next. Only God can do it. And I pray that he would. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to um, gather here to learn about who you are, to see you as the God of the universe, all supreme, but also a loving and kind Father. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way tonight. And I pray that that would bring joy, it would bring transformation. I pray that you would um, protect us from the lies of the enemy. And I pray that you would equip us in order to fight those lies. Father, we love you and we're thankful for you. In your name I pray, amen.